Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, the first Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, and I'm excited to talk about people named after fabric tonight. <laughs> Today, we're talking about Minute 121, which begins with 11 comp sequence supervisors and ends with visual effects by method. It sounds like uh, they're, they're somehow trying to embody visual effects. It, no, it just like, it sounds like, like a, it sounds like a, a like the new hairstylist method. <laughs> method. You have to whisper it. Your All method. Right. Uh, anyway, <laughs> joining us on the show today and all week, it's Eric Deutsch from Escape from New York Minute and Flash Gordon Minute. Hello, Eric. Eric. Hello. So great to be back. When I heard Method, it just made me, as a Wu-Tang fan, fan think of Method Man, method who Man. sometimes <laughs> just goes by meth or method. So that's yeah. what popped in my head. <laughs> that's right. So these were people who were doing visual effects and he was in proximity. They were right, right. Exactly. visual effects yeah. by method. Yeah, no, yeah. that's actually better. I appreciate that. It's now headcanon, and we're moving on. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. So we are, um, we're talking credits. Erica, I know this was not your uh, your pick for, tell the, for a minute. Tell the whole yeah. story, Andy. So there's a little story. story. All right, all right, fine. So <laughs> I was going to, uh, so I, early on in the season, I had Eric, uh, I, I got confirmation from him. He was good. He wanted to get some minutes on the show. And then I proceeded to get, you know, emails out to everybody, what minutes and everything. And I completely forgot to include Eric in that email. And it wasn't until all the minutes were taken and I was looking through it and I was starting to get everything ready for next season. And I realized, wait a minute, Eric never was on the show. <laughs> and so, did, did, somehow in your yeah. head, did you blame Eric at that moment? You said, Why didn't Eric ever respond no, to me? I, I never would blame Eric, but I probably blamed you, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so anyway, I reached out to Eric and I said, dude, I'm so sorry. I'm awfully embarrassed about this. By any chance, would you like to have five minutes of credits at the end of the film? I promise you can have first pick for the Avengers. And Eric was kind enough to forgive me and took the deal. So here we are. Oh, I didn't say I forgive you. Oh, I didn't say that. Okay. <laughs> Damn it. I thought I could slip that in. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, it, uh, we're going to try making this as fun as we can, which we like to do with the credits. And, uh, and then, of course, we've got a little, a little bonus, a little juicy stuff at the end of this one. So we'll talk about that as well. Uh, but right now we're talking about Minute 121, and we are pretty much in a minute full of visual effects. Lots of uh, visual effects companies in here. And, uh, you know, as I was watching this, well, okay, first of all, Eric, let's get a sense from you. What do you think of the visual effects in general? Are there some that work for you, some that don't? In general, do you like the visual effects in this film? Yeah, there were there were three specific visual effects items that I thought of um, since literally this entire minute is just visual effects credits. Uh, I really like Hydra's and the Red Skull's disintegration guns. I think that that's a very good effect um, whenever those are used, especially the scene when uh, he kills uh, the several uh, German officers. Um, I like when the Red Skull grabs the cosmic cube at the end and disintegrates or is transported off to a different planet, as we find out many years later. I thought that was very well done. Okay. And the final, uh, Steve flying the plane in the end, the final approach of the plane, uh, seeing the water, seeing the ice. Uh, I thought that I really liked uh, that, too. Those are the three things that really stood out for me. What are your thoughts on uh, on Skinny Steve? 
I think that it was very good for the year that it came out. I'm sure they could do a slightly better job now. Um, however, you know, what is this, 10 years later, 11 years later or something. Um, but I think I, I remember at the time seeing it and thinking, yeah, you know what? I, I buy it. That's fine. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 I think there's been a lot of fluctuation with it. I think for the most part, people think that they did a pretty good job with it. Albeit there are a few shots in there that are questionable. And I think that's kind of where, where I land for sure. Those are the ones where Haley Atwell is playing the part of Gandalf. <laughs> exactly. In those forced perspective shots. In the car. <laughs> oh, just go. Yeah, I mean, you know, any, listen, anytime you're doing CGI to create something human as opposed to something not human, there's always going to be some uncanny valley there. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the fact is they jump through some extraordinary digital hoops to make a character that is believable. So even if the bar is set at merely believable, it's amazing. Like, it's amazing yes. the stuff they're able to do, these artists. And so I, that is, uh, it's it's extraordinary work. And as we often like to call out, uh, you know, any issues we have with the visual effects, it's not at the fault of the visual effects artists doing the work. We know that they are worked um, overworked often, put on very, very rigorous schedules to get the work done. And, uh, you know, uh, cranking out stuff for people with, who are making a lot of uh, decision changes and everything. And so, you know, I, I think they're doing largely good work as essentially the world of visual effects is making stuff up as you go along all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, the first company in the credits that we're talking about is Double Negative. They were the lead vendor for the film and worked very closely with the team. They did 630 visual effects shots in the film, which I was like, oh, that seems like a lot. <laughs> I didn't count shots, but I'm guessing that they were, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, how many shots are roughly in a film? Like uh, over a thousand, I would say, right? Yeah. I have to Google this now. How many shots? Well, and uh, I think, what did uh, uh, a- Avatar, I think they started with 3,300 and ended up in the, I think, the fi- not theatrical, but the the sort of final round I was listening to a but you mean like interview the direct- with. Are you talking about the new one or the first one? Yeah, the new one. That's, I was just listening to a, a Cameron interview, and he said, we're, we're still cutting, and we're at about 1,800. Uh, so they, I think they had a long way to go, but. That's a, that seems like a lot of shots. Well, and that's a, uh, three hour plus yeah. film. So two hours, say 1200 shots somewhere in yep. that range. So, I mean, that's like half of the movie they essentially were working on, which is, that's touching a lot to, to kind of bring this to life. So it's pretty impressive. Well, and considering this is sort of one of the more grounded MCU movies, it's probably on the lower end of visual effects shots for an MCU movie. I would assume. True, true. And I'm sure the, I mean, as we watch the credits over the course of the next several phases, I think we'll see these blocks of names grow larger and larger and larger <laughs> with the, all the different people working yeah. for the visual effects companies. I did count. I was like curious with the visual effects. Okay, lead vendor, how many credits did they end up getting in this in this list here? And it's roughly about 250 credits. I, I did it a couple times and I got a different number every time because it's a lot of names. It's really a lot of names trying to count on a screen. <laughs> but I think it's around 250. And uh, that's definitely, definitely more people credited than any of the others. I was looking, I was trying to find some information on each of these companies to figure out, okay, that's, they're the lead vendor. Great. They did 630 shots. Great. But what did they do? 
And so I tried doing that for as many of these as I could find. And so uh, as we talk through this, I just want to get a sense from you the specific effects for what they did. So double negative, it says the primary challenge for them was to design and build the series of vehicles used by the evil Hydra unit lead by or led by Captain America's nemesis, Red Skull. Uh, so they were essentially doing the land cruiser, the Triflugel, the pod fighter, the suborbital bomber, Zola's train, and Schmidt's Mercedes. So they did all of the vehicle work. They also did um, set extensions of the Hydra factory and environment builds for the hangar and runway, the Alpine mountains for the train and Arctic crash scenes, the cloud environment for the pod fighter chase, the imaging of the cube power and the death effect, and the replacement shots for Captain America's shield. That's a lot of stuff that they were covering. Yeah. But with the 250 people that, that, you know, roughly names there, I mean, I'm assuming that's every employee at that company, probably, right? I mean, how big could one company be? Yeah, like how many films are they taking on concurrently? Yeah. Well, I think what happens with a lot of these companies is, you know, there's probably a core. Like if we looked at the credits here, and I don't have the specific... Um, like at the top of the credits where it's like their producers, like their, their coordinators, the main people, that's probably largely the bulk of who they have as employees. And then once you get to the big blocks of names, a lot of those are people who are probably hired on just for this film. And so they're an employee of the company just for this film. And as soon as the movie ends, you know, they're off doing, looking for their next gig, um, just like any other kind of freelance work. Uh, my mm. guess is that's how a lot of these people are working. In theory, could a freelancer be hired by a company, work on it for whatever shot they have that ends and then be hired by a different company to work on a different shot in the movie and their name would appear twice in the credits? Under both companies. Oh, that's interesting. That is interesting. I don't know, but but just to just to back up a little data, double negative is a it has as of today has six thousand eight hundred eighty eight employees. It's a three hundred million dollar a year company. So there you go. Um, bigger than I, you know, I, I don't know how big it was then, but it is you know it's a it's a sizable organization. Having hmm. two hundred and fifty people in the credits, they I, they're taking on concurrent films. Does it? Uh, well, yeah. And actually, now that you say that, I'm I'm looking to see how many offices they have. It looks like they have ten offices, so um, they are all over the place. Yeah, a very, very, very big organization. Yeah. Um. So I guess it makes sense that they're a lead vendor for a project like this. They have the staff to handle it. Yeah. And you know, my my sense is. A lot of companies like this likely have, you know, 10 different places around the world. I mean, when I'm looking at the list, it's like London, Vancouver, Mumbai, L.A., Chennai, <laughs> Montreal, Mohali, Bangalore, Toronto, Sydney. Probably What's crazy. Be- That's where they make movies. <laughs> well, it's probably yeah, L.A., right? But it's probably because they can then have essentially stuff going on around the clock. And, you know, a particular thing can be done in one time zone, passed off to the next time zone, and kind of, you know, work around the clock like that so things get done uh, quicker. Yeah. Yeah. It does let me ask a sidebar question. Oh, okay. Uh, as I'm looking at the uh, digital neg- digital uh, compositor at Double Negative, the Roto and Prep artist, I'd like to introduce you to Daniel Leatherdale. Now, you know me. I like to know where names come from, but not this one. <laughs> 
I just like to think, I just got to thinking, I wonder how many people are named after fabrics. And so I went on a little search. <laughs> Do you, first of all, could either of you gentlemen actually name the 12 principal types of fabric? How many could you get? Uh, cotton? Hey, that's number two. All right. The silk? That's one. Yeah, it's down that down the list. Uh, uh, I mean, are we doing like um, uh, synthetic too, or are we just talking about that's listed as one? Synthetic as is one just type. one by a itself. Synthetic is okay. just one. Yeah. So there gotcha. are eleven other principal types of fabric. Wool. Yep. So how do we do? <laughs> wool, silk, <laughs> three. Cotton, you have wool, is, uh, synthetic. wool, silk, synthetics. Is is satin synthetic or is that real? I don't even know. Satin <laughs> is. A fabric. It is ah, not excellent. made from fiber. It's actually uh, one of the three major textile weaves and is made when every strand is well knitted. Hmm. Originally made from silk, now it's made from polyester, wool, and cotton. It is not in and of itself a fabric, ah. but it is a resultant fabric. So it's part of the 12th. Wow. Uh, we had silk, you had synthetics. Uh, I'm going to get you had wool. We had wool cotton. You didn't have the big V. You know what I mean? Velvet, beautiful silk, satin, linen. <laughs> you didn't have linen. I uh, hate linen. It's one of the oldest the materials iron. known to humankind, made from natural fibers. Uh, leather. We've just mentioned how excited I get about leather. Lace is listed as its own type of fabric. Weird denim. We all wear jeans. Crepe is a fabric. Who knew? I don't. Know. I thought you just ate them. Crepe, uh, cotton, and. <laughs> The number one on the list is uh, a sheer, lightweight, plain woven fabric made from twisted yarn that gives a slightly rough feel. It's called chiffon. Oh. Chiffon. When uh, you say number one, though, it's not number one. It's it's number one on this list of 12. From, okay. But uh, it's not like this is the know. number one because I'm like, no, no this is- <laughs> I, I, like, where is chiffon I mean, in my one, life? Number <laughs> one alphabetically? On I mean, what is that? Yeah, number right. One. <laughs> Right, my listener, <laughs> listeners to this show have voted, and that means me later when I listen to it. Um, and so now I ask the question, now that you've had the 12, how many of those do you think are named people on the credits list? How many people do you think are named after one of the fabrics of the principal 12? Do we well, have, we have a leather. John Synthetic? Uh, no, there's no Synthetic. <laughs> no. <laughs> but Chiffon, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if there's a Chiffon. Okay. I will say that there is a last name Satin, so I'll guess that someone might have had the last name Satin, because I know there used to be a Met named Josh Satin, so that is a legitimate last name. Interesting. Uh, Wool? I don't know if there's a wool. Um, Cotton's a last name. Joseph Cotton. Great actor. Could be Cotton. That's right. Okay. Uh, well, I'm going to go ahead and put you out of your misery because this bit is not that <laughs> impressive when you come down to the real punchline here. We do have a stereoscopic depth artist named Treya Cotton. Treya Cotton. So there's the one. I did mention we have uh, leather, uh, yep. which was uh, uh, Leatherdale. Uh, was was uh, Daniel Leatherdale. So his history is he's actually from the town where right. they make leather. But Andy, I can do you one better, and this is going to make this going to really excite you because I know how much you like this kind of stuff. Leatherdale is only one. Charlotte Leatherland. Oh, Leatherland. Oh. Yes, she's from the land that is much bigger than Leatherdale. Uh, Charlotte Leather Leatherland is the assistant art director, and uh, isn't that 
Fantastic. And and I, I'm sad to say, out of this massive list of people in the entire credits, not even just this minute, those are the only three uh, the only three people named after fabrics. Wow. You, you only know that kind of stuff from this show. So this, this is where you learn that. Yeah. There you have it. But you can bet we're going to be doing this again for the Avengers. <laughs> oh, yes, we will. The, Siobhan, I'm coming for you, rotoscope artist. The people must have it. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. Well, the next company on the list is Lola. Lola VFX. Now, Double Negative had 250 people who worked on this film. Lola has only 30. So from, you know, a company that had 250, the lead vendor, the rest of them all are, you know, 30 or less pretty much. So it's it's quite the drop. I was surprised. I mean, I guess it makes sense in some in some way to have it you know, the lead obviously is the biggest, but then all of these other ones to be so small was a bit of a surprise. But one thing I did learn is that when you have credits, like when a company gets like Lola has 30 credits, it doesn't mean that they only had 30 people work on the film. It's just in their contract, they had a deal that said, okay, you can have, uh, you're going to do these credits. This is how much, um, you know, we're going to pay you to do them and we'll give you 30 credits. And then you have to decide who are those 30 people that you want credited. And so sometimes it's like, that's why some people end up not getting credited. And sometimes it's like, that's why all these random accountants and stuff are getting credited because they only had 26 people working. Well, let's give it to Margie. And uh, so that's why, um, with all of these, they're very like 30 credits, 30 credits, 30 credits, 20 credits, etc. Well, what's interesting about Lola VFX, even with their diminutive uh, percentage of the staff, they did some very important work on the film and in the Marvel Universe. They do de-aging and yes. they did they did the uh, the the little cap Um and we'll talk about him again if slash when we get to Michael Douglas and Ant-Man and Vision. And they're they're in charge of the character driven effects. Yes. Yes. And uh, something else we brought up quite a bit. They also did Army Hammer uh, oh, twinning yep, him social for a social network. And they did the work oh, in okay. Benjamin Button also with mm -hmm. uh, with Brad Pitt and uh, Kate uh, Blanchett. So very big company. Not a lot of people credited, but, um, you know, going back have, to... It looks like they only have three locations compared to the 9,000 locations <laughs> of Double Negative. Right, right. Um, next up, we have Framestore. Now, Framestore had 21 credits. They worked on 80 shots in the film, and their specific focus was working on Red Skull. That was their primary job. What's interesting is that they were actually the film the filmmakers were trying to do everything with Red Skull 2D, like they're actually, you know, with mask and everything, but they did realize at some point that they were going to have to create a 3D version of the head. And I didn't realize this watching the film, but most of the shots of him other than the nose, I mean we know the nose was was touched up, but they also did a lot of other cosmetic work on him. And so to that end, I'd say they did a great job because I kind of thought it was just all mask. Yeah. What's your uh, what's your sense of Red Skull, Eric? Do you like the way Red Skull plays in the film? Well, uh, until five seconds ago, I thought it was mask. So um, <laughs> I'm incredibly impressed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I think he looks very good. Absolutely. Yeah, I guess it was. I mean, the the prosthetics. It's just 
modifying some of it because there were some things like like here's here's a quote hugo's performance um this is i can't remember which scene they're talking about but hugo's performance pushed the mask into places which prosthetics couldn't anticipate places where it was going to bulge in the wrong areas and make it look rubbery on paper all we had to do is make negative impressions into his skull sculpting into his face to make it concave trimming the odd bit of excess rubber here and there it was hoped we could do it in 2d um, but anyway, as they said, they did have to go in and modify all those little, uh, bubbles and bulges that were popping out as he was moving. I mean, look, it, it, you know, as the comic book character, Red Skull, when you just, when you look at it, it, this obviously is not going to be an easy character to translate to live action. Right, you know, right, right. um, it, it's, it could, it could look really stupid. I mean, the old Captain America movie from the, you know, 1990 or something, it looks horrible. So you know it's going to be a heavy lift, um, and I think they did a really good job. Were you a reader of the Captain America comics? Uh, I was never a huge reader of it, but I mean, over the years, I've sort of gone back and read a lot from the era when I was collecting comics. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't collect Captain America when I was a com- active comic book reader, but you know, I was an Avengers reader, so at least I knew him from the Avengers. But over the years, I've gone back and read a lot of his runs from the seventies and eighties. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. So you're you've read some of it now, and you're a little more familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Red Skull. I mean, it's an interesting character in the comics, and it's anytime you have a character whose face is a skull, <laughs> it becomes <laughs> quite the challenge. So yeah, I thought they I thought they did a good job with it. We like we like him in these parts. The next company that is credited is the Senate. The Senate Visual Effects Limited, they had 30 credits also, and they did 180 shots. Their specific focus was environmental, and they also did some crowd replication, set extensions, and the ever-important CG foot replacement. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Uh, Pete, I can't remember, were you on those episodes, Pete, when um, uh, Chrissy and Nathan were on? We were talking about Cap running. I was not, but I like to think that I was because I was talking back to you while I was listening to those episodes in my car <laughs> uh, about the feet, the foot replacement. Yeah, it's just really funny because they had those essentially like, you know, weird looking hobbit feet things that, that <laughs> his stunt double was running and he was wearing as they were running around. And yeah, so they did go through and digitally replace all the feet. So you can thank the Senate for the fantastic footwork. <laughs> so funny. Okay, uh, the next company is Fuel VFX. Uh, Fuel VFX. Fuel VFX also had 30 credits and 120 shots. So Fuel VFX, um, they did things like the um, the motorcycle uh, chase and stuff, which, uh, Pete, you're a big fan of the motorbike, right? <laughs> I... <laughs> Just in general, I, I like watching bikes. You, you liked the scene when they were uh, chasing him through the forest. Yeah, I did. I did. I liked that scene. I, it was too short. They did all of they did all those bikes. That's what you're telling me. They did that scene. Uh, that well, they did all the effects work in it. They did digital doubles for the hydro bikers, CG motorbikes uh, when they were needed. They did the tank when it comes in and gets blown up. So. They did a lot of that stuff, and and then they went on to do all the stuff in the compound. Also, the flamethrowers, um, all that stuff. The the blue bolt lasers, uh, extensions of prop trees, which uh, that's I mean things like that that you don't normally think about because it it works. You know, I'm not looking at the trees to go. Is that a real tree? You know, so yeah. And then they did the um, shot in the water at the very end when uh, Stark picks up the cube. So 
all that mm. underwater okay. Titanic looking yeah. footage. Yeah. Yeah. So they did a lot of that sort of stuff. They had worked on Thor also. I remember seeing their name in the credits there, but um, they were on Iron Man 2, too. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like the motorcycle chase? As it uh, plays in this film, you, Eric. The, uh, Eric, don't pay attention to yeah. his tone. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah. He was leading it's, the witness. It's there. unacceptable. <laughs> yes, I do like it. Yes. Okay. Thank All you. All right. All right. Fine. <laughs> actually, there's there's there, there's very little. I actually I, this this is one of my favorite Marvel movies. There's very little I would criticize about this movie. Actually. Well, just listen to this show and see if I change your tune. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, next up we have Trickster. They had 20 credits and over 115 shots that they worked on. They uh, worked on the flashback sequence with um, Erskine when he's uh, talking about Schmidt and Schmidt's descent into madness becoming the Red Skull. They also worked on the train sequence uh, where Captain America uh, loses Bucky, plus they did a few other random shots and stuff. Um I mean, the flashback sequence was an interesting one, and it definitely looked different than the rest of the film. Um, I mean, looking back on it now, does does it still play? Do you like the way that that ended up kind of looking the way that it because it's like you got the bubbles, the it's all like very scientific stuff kind of appearing over the images to make it look completely unreal. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I, I I feel like you're you're right. To me, it does stand out. Uh, but I almost think that that sequence and Trickster's work on that sequence was effectively a demo reel for the rest of the work that they they end up doing with Marvel. I mean, they're involved in everything now, um, and have done a lot of work, particularly big, glorious work in in Guardians of the Galaxy and and Spider Man and Black Panther and uh, you know all of the uh, Falcon, Winter Soldier, Miss Marvel, all the TV stuff, Loki, they're all over. Their footprint is all over Marvel. So it's, it feels like this was just teasing their way into these projects. Do you like the flashback that we have, Eric? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's a comic book movie, you know? It's 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 okay for there to be comic booky elements in it, you know? Uh, it's, it is just such a different thing. And and here's here's a question that we were talking about during that particular scene. Because of the way it's shot, do you feel like there's a weird implication that Erskine is um, telling his own version of things? Well, obviously, you know, this goes into the societal aspect of when you have eyewitnesses talking about something, right? Sure. You can ask three different people something that all witness the same event and they all give three different uh, descriptions. You know, it's how he remembers it. You know, um, he's not, you know, consciously looking to deceive or purposely leaving certain aspects out. It's his memory is, of the event is this. If that's not 100% accurate as how it happened, it's certainly possible, but in his mind, it is. It's, I mean, it's an interesting bit. It, it plays interestingly. I, I, I like that they did it. I think that it, it, it gives you that sense of that perspective. So I do actually like it quite a bit. Next up, we have look effects. They only had 12 credits, uh, and they did almost 60 shots. They worked on three major sequences. They worked on the hover car early on in the film. They worked on the fight scene at the entrance to the Hydra Factory uh, during the um, the montage, the Hydra Factory and the montage. And they worked on Howling Commandos wreaking havoc to Hydra across war-torn Europe. So basically a lot of the montage stuff. Um, do you, I mean, are you a fan of montages, Eric? Do you like 
montages in films generally? Uh, it has to work. Um, I do think it worked in this movie because, you know, they had to do a bit of a time jump there to get uh, the, the part of the story they were into the later part while showing that he really indeed did become uh, a hero and, and really formed a team with the Howling Commandos. So I think it works here. doesn't always work. Yeah. I find it interesting that this company did montages and I, you know, does that in, are they known for being a montage rule of this company? Well, that's, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting thing. I mean, I guess they're, they're obviously just doing the effects for the montage. Uh, but still like, that's a very specific thing because everything you're doing is kind of short. Right. You know, by, by nature. And so you're getting, okay, you're going to show this quick shot of a few explosions and that's it. And then we move on to this other thing. So it is interesting that they are only doing that. So I don't know. I'm not sure how big the company is. I mean, they, they it's, only have not anymore. They closed. Oh, they closed uh, in 2014. Well. Yeah. They were all of their assets were acquired by mass market, another uh, company. Um, but yeah, they did. I mean, they were on Black Swan and Avatar and obviously Captain America and uh, your favorite, the Muppet movie. Oh, that's a good movie. Uh, good yeah. movie. Yep. Interesting. Interesting. Well, then we go from Look to Whiskey Tree. Whiskey Tree is, uh, you know, they were big in Thor. We talked about them quite a bit. They did all the stuff on Asgard. They only had 12 credits here. And uh, so not a lot. I couldn't find anything specifically as to what they did on this film. So I'm not actually sure what they did. Not much. Um, after that, we have Luma Pictures, who doesn't even get a credit. They only have the company name credited. Same thing with Matt Paintings by Matt, Di Matt World Digital. Now, this was interesting, and I don't know. I feel like I've seen them in credits before. And the thing that always stands out is they get to list their location, Matt World Digital, Marin County, California. And I'm always curious, like, why do they get to include where they are as part of their credit? Is that Does that stand out to you at all as something that's like, huh, wonder why they have that? I don't think I even thought about that. Do the other ones say specifically where they are? Nobody says that. This that's Nobody that's why that. it's yeah, it's so peculiar. It, it they they always say the county, almost like they've included that in their name just so people know where they are or something. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Um it it looks like they do uh the <laughs> Remember those first minutes, Andy, when we were talking all about Brooklyn and the posters of Brooklyn and the, oh, yeah. the walls and the streets? That's what they did. They decorated a digital 1940s Brooklyn. And they also did some work on the giant Hydra base where Cap runs up the tank and along the roof to get into the first bridge confrontation inside the building, which they did not do. Um, but they did a lot of the um a lot of the 1940s brooklyn and replaced all the posters and did all that art ah gotcha i always loved matte paintings i and you know i don't think i even knew what a matte painting was when i was young but then i remember being just mesmerized when i saw behind the scenes pictures of movies where they would show these huge glass plates with somebody actually like painting on it that they would shoot through and that would be the mat. And it just like, it kind of blew my mind that you could do that when you were making a movie. And 
I mean, obviously it was in a lot of stuff I loved as a kid, like the Star Wars movies and stuff like that. But then, I mean, even going farther back into, you know, older films and stuff, it's just like, it's such an interesting technique. And when you get to see the art that the matte uh, painters would create on those, um, on those glass um, pieces, I mean, it's, it's pretty astounding. I mean, is that something either of you that's, that's ever caught your attention? Yeah, actually in Escape from New York. Um, oh, sure. Talked a lot about that because actually James Cameron uh, actually did some of the matte painting for that movie before he became James Cameron. Uh, and so they, they extended, uh, since the movie was shot in uh, St. Louis, it wasn't shot in New York, um, they filmed you know what they could in the front and then they had to add in the background stuff to make it look like New York City. Wow. I forgot that he got his start doing that. And that's interesting because yeah. Joe Johnston who directed this film got his start doing effects and stuff with um, the star Wars films and right. Lucas and Spielberg. So it's interesting. And even like David Fincher, he got his start working in, in some effects on return of the Jedi. So uh, I always find it interesting how some of these people get their start and, and make their way to where they do, you know, after matte paintings, uh, we're at Evil Eye Pictures, and then we have Rise Visual Effects Studios and Method. I couldn't find much on any of these uh, places other than um, Method, and Method was involved in the title, like the uh, a lot of the stuff that we talked about when we were doing those the uh, propaganda images. Pete, yeah, uh, Method Design worked on all of that, and I believe they're now, or they were Rocket Studio at one point. So anyway. Uh, those are the credits. Those are the companies that we're looking at in this particular film. I mean, you know, it's it's interesting to kind of break it down by company and look at what they did, because I don't know. So often you just look at the film, but then you go, oh, yeah, they it's all these different companies. And then they have to work together. One company is doing like, I mean, we talked about Double Negative being the lead vendor, and then they pass stuff over to Look Effects, for example, and Look Effects has to take those shots and and you know, fit their effects into it and stuff. I mean, it's, it's interesting, the process that they go through with all of this. I can't imagine the complexities the post-production supervising team has to do to navigate all of this, you know? The, the thing I like about doing this is just going through the, the sort of legacy of effects work that has come since this, this movie, like in the last 12 years, what have they been doing and where did they end up? And so many of them, it's like a gang of companies that have this expertise. And so they come back and do again and more and more and more. You look at Rise Effects and Rise Effects is, you know, their demo reel goes back and forth from um, Marvel to DC to Marvel to DC to television to big screen. Uh, they're on all those projects. One of their big upcoming ones that we've already talked about on another show is is The Last of Us, not a Marvel show, but one that we're very, very much looking forward to uh, as a as possibly a great game adaptation. It's it's fun to see that work come out of these um, these companies and watch them grow. And and it seems interesting to me that we've only stumbled on one that has that has gone out of business that has been acquired. The rest of these seem to be doing the right thing with that sweet, sweet Marvel and DC money. That's a good point, because um, what was it? Life of Pi. That was shortly after this. I mean, that was the big story because their uh, effects team won best visual effects right after the company had declared bankruptcy and bankruptcy, shut down. Right. And so I can't remember who is that. Rhythm and Hughes is that who that was? Yeah. 
Yeah, I believe that's right. And so, I mean, it's it's a very difficult industry, and so it's a, kind of amazing that at this point we've only run into one that has shut down yeah. of all these. That's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, so I have a few names. I don't want to go. I don't want to take too much more time because I don't want these these to be too long. Um, just a few names that I thought I'd call out. Um, possibly. The shortest name in the entire list of credits. I know, Pete, you were asking before, which was the longest name? And I think we pinned that down to somebody. Um, But possibly the shortest name is Whiskey Tree's uh, technical director, Va Ha. (laughs) That's four? Two syllable names. Va Ha. Outstanding. Well, again, we now have a leather land and a leather dale. And now you know about Va Ha. And now you know about Vaha. Our our hats off to all of them for their work. All of them. We have one nickname in this set of minutes. Uh, we like to call <laughs> out the nicknames. Um, and as we have done before, I'm going to have you two guess what this particular person's nickname might be. This is effects artist Terry Marriott. Any idea what Terry Marriott's nickname might be? Hotel. <laughs> That's that would make sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please tell me it's not hotel. <laughs> Motor in <laughs> or Bonvoy would make make perfect sense with Mario. <laughs> it's actually Super Mario. Uh, what? Where what? does that come from, <laughs> Terry Marriott? I guess Mar- Marriott Mario. Well, Marriott Mario. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. That's an interesting one to choose, to sit there and think, you know what? I want that to be in my credit for Captain America, the first Avenger, Super Mario. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We had one junior, uh, no seniors or thirds, but we had match mover Ludwig Adasa Jr. And uh, then there's one person who had a name that I thought was very fitting, not for the department they're in, but compositing artist. Caroline Weidenhiller. What department do you think Caroline Weidenhiller would would perhaps be a more at home in? Weidenhiller. Weidenhiller. <laughs> like you're talking about like location scouting, like yeah, like yeah. something with outdoor visual effects, or something. <laughs> right? Just something involving like you know landscaping the the production, <laughs> right? <laughs> That was terrible. That was just terrible. Uh, you know, I had to go there, though. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? It's a minute of credits. <laughs> Come on. All right. Well, I mean, that's a lot of technical uh, stuff, special effects, a lot of interesting things there. Uh, but I don't have anything else unless you two have something else that you'd like to talk about in this particular minute. I had one last point that I wanted to get in. All of these workers on visual effects, tying this back into something we talked about at the beginning of the episode about... Uh, small Steve, large Steve, all these visual effects workers and the movie does not actually show the actual transformation of small Steve into large Steve. Oh, would you like to have seen that? Like uh, Hulk, Hulk style? Like the Hulk transformation that we get. Yeah, yeah, like a Hulk transformation. Sure. You know, that's weird. I honestly have that's never crossed my mind that I missed out on that until you just said that. And I'm like, they've shown plenty of transformations like that. Why? Why is this one that they don't show? Because he's not a monster. I mean, it's straight out of a high school play. You know, he, <laughs> he, you walk the one guy walks in the pod and then the other one walks out. Yeah. You know, it's, it's... <laughs> 
I yeah, I think there's a, I think it, it would be different with Captain America because you don't want to see Captain America, who is pure of everything, <laughs> look gross at any given time. And, you know, <laughs> his bones breaking and adjusting and his limbs stretching out, his muscles pulsating. That would be disgusting. Nobody wants to see <laughs> Captain America do that. That's my that's my pitch. That's the version that has his eyes turned blue. Yes. Right. Eric, it was actually <laughs> scripted where when, you know, there's a shot in when he's getting like about to go through his transformation where he's got his eyes closed and the shots right on his face and then his eyes open and he's looking right into the camera. That was scripted where his eyes are blue. There's like the blue, uh, his the whites of his eyes are all blue. Really glad they chose not to do that. His The whites of his eyes were blue? That was the whole thing. His, his eyes like had gone all blue. Right. Yeah. Oh, you don't mean just the iris, like the entire eyeball is blue. Yeah, like like oh, like ugh. he was like he was being pumped full of whatever the Vita rays were doing. It was bluing him yeah, up. They, it was very weird. Ugh. Yeah, I thought like, that was going to be some sort of a like country of origin thing. Like in the original script, he was French, but he went through the Vita rays, and now he's an American. <laughs> <laughs> very powerful yeah. stuff. Very powerful. Yeah, very strange. I, I, I'm really glad they chose not to go that route. It would have been really silly. But yeah. if they had, that's the version where you're showing him go through the transformation. I did have one last uh, thing that only occurred to me because you brought it up a moment ago, Eric, and that was a person who's getting credited twice. And we do actually have somebody who does get credited twice in this minute. Leong Kit Wong gets credited once as a match mover and then again later as a roto slash prep artist. So hmm. it happened at least once in this one. I don't know. if I, I You know, I forgot to write down if it was the same company or not. Yeah, that was going to be my question, because based on what you now told us about how each company only gets a certain amount of slots, does that mean if they were from the same company that this person got their name twice and someone else at the company who worked on the movie did not get their name at all in the credits because this person insisted that, that they their got name appear twice? twice. Yeah, yeah, right, right. That would be some major problems so, at the Christmas uh, company <laughs> party. It's a real, well, it's the Hunger Games. They just all have to <laughs> knock each other off for the credit. It just goes crazy. That's right. I'm looking right now. Okay, so Leon Kit Wong's first credit as match mover was with uh, double negative. So if there's a company that has plenty of room for uh, somebody to be credited twice, it is them. And um, again, okay, so it's both times with double negative. So yeah, I wonder right. if they just had the room. And maybe at some point, Leong had moved from one department to the other, so ended up getting credited in both places, or if somebody's name didn't get credited because Leong got in it twice. I don't know. I don't know. But there it is. All right. Well, let's wrap this one up. So, Eric, uh, tell everybody where they can find your shows. Sure. So, I was the co-host of both Flash Gordon Minute and Escape from New York Minute. Those are both on any podcatcher. Uh, that you use, and both are uh, long since finished, so they're nice, easily uh, able to be binged. Uh, and I do still maintain a presence of fan groups for both of them on Facebook as well, uh, if you want to chat about the movie as well. We're still active there. Fantastic. What are the Facebook groups called? Uh, it is Flash Gordon's uh, Minute Listener Vortex and uh, the Escape from New York Minute uh, uh, Brains Library, Escape from New York Minute uh, listeners uh, group perfect perfect all right well uh eric we'll be back with you tomorrow to talk about minute 122 some more credits 
Should be fun. And uh, Pete, thanks as always. I hope we find out who actually wrote Star Spangled Man tomorrow, Andy. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. <laughs>